So for the New Testament reading, please open your Bibles to Matthew 6. It is found on page 971 of your Red Bibles. And we'll begin with verse 25 and read through verse 34. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In last week's meditation, we looked at the book of Proverbs to teach us how to have what we called poise, spiritual poise. That is, when something annoying happens, we wait until we are no longer annoyed in order to respond, and therefore we do so keeping in step with God's spirit. This week's Proverbs, which we've collected on your insert, uh, you can look at that. These Proverbs are two things. They are a warning against destructive anger, but they are also, as we'll see, they're also guidance towards something positive, and that is zeal, zeal. Zeal is the wisdom that we need if we are in the church are going to practice all of those one-anothering commands of the New Testament. So this week we turn to the Proverbs about anger and about zeal. Let's look at our passages which are printed for us in the insert. And let's hear once again God's word together. I liked how we did this uh, last week. Why don't we take a... Um, 
a section at a time. I'll read and you can respond to me. Some of them are longer than others, but that's okay. So let's read God's word together. Hatred stirs up conflict, but love covers over all wrongs. A hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but the one who is patient calms a quarrel. A king's wrath is a messenger of death, but the wise will appease it. A person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. A king's rage is like the roar of a lion, but his favor is like dew on the grass. A hot-tempered person must pay the penalty. Rescue them, and you will have to do it again. Better to live in a desert than with a quarrelsome and nagging wife. Like a north wind that brings unexpected rain is a sly tongue which provokes a horrified look. Stone is heavy and sand a burden, but a fool's provocation is heavier than both. Anger is cruel and fury overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? Mockers stir up a city, but the wise turn away anger. An angry person stirs up conflict, and a hot-tempered person commits many sins. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's start with a question, shall we? Is it always wrong to be angry? I won't embarrass you by um, asking you to raise your hands and vote one way or another. We could do that, I suppose. But let me just tell you that as we look at the scriptures and the way that the church has read them throughout history, this is complicated, uh, but also in some ways simple. Anger itself is not evil, but bad anger is evil. One pastor says this, anger is just energy released to defend something that you love. So when someone threatens something that is good or true or beautiful, anger is the force that makes us get up, stand up, and defend those good and true and beautiful things. We might call this type of anger zeal, zeal. The Lord Jesus, the New Testament tells us, was full of zeal. Zeal for the temple in John chapter 2. That's because he loved the temple. The temple was not just a building, but it was the place where he, as God, had met with his beloved people for centuries. So when people were charging too much and taking advantage of the poor selling their doves and things in the temple courts. He came in with his zeal and he flipped over their tables and drove out those money changers. His zeal, his love for people and for the temple, it expressed itself, didn't it, in, in holy anger. So anger is not bad. Bad anger is bad. And again, this morning, we look to these Proverbs we've read. Let's keep them in front of us. For God's wisdom to help us to love one another. If we are going to have 
zeal. We need these wisdom texts to teach us what zeal looks like. So I believe that these passages will teach us first to repent of perverted zeal, to receive undeserved zeal, and to release converted zeal. To repent of perverted zeal, receive undeserved zeal, and release converted zeal. So let's look at the first of these, shall we? Repent, first of all, of perverted zeal. We're told we've got to have zeal. If we love true and good and beautiful things and they're threatened, we have to have zeal. But here is the problem for all of us and the problem that these Proverbs addresses. We love things, but we love the wrong things and in the wrong order and with the wrong intensity so many times, don't we? We don't love God's mission to be with his people. We aren't zealous as we should be for the face of God. We don't cherish God's face as it's reflected in the faces of his image bearers, one another. Our zeal has been perverted because our loves, our sense of what is good and true and beautiful and our commitment to those things, our loves have been perverted. And so what do we love instead of God and people? We could list many things, but we might just simplify and say we love money and power and influence. And I think these three things in particular are the things that make us bad angry, the things that pervert our zeal, money, power, and influence. These are good things. But when we love them, the love of money, Jesus says, uh, Paul says to Timothy, is the root of all kinds of evil. When we love these things and love them too much, then we will get angry, won't we, when these things are threatened. Sometimes we think that money and power and influence are the only good, true, and beautiful things that we can have in this life. And so an angry person, someone who has a perverted zeal, is a person who walks around and is constantly afraid that the things that they love most instead of God and instead of people, money, power, influence, that these things are going to be taken away from them. And what does someone with perverted zeal look like when they erupt in this evil sort of anger, when they defend something that they love too much. I would say that anger is, when it's sinful, it is always violent, even if you never lay a finger on someone. I think there's three types of angry violence that these Proverbs point out to us, three types of perverted zeal. And they're all violent in their own way. Let's look at these three. First of all, I think there's machine gun anger here in these texts. Some people are just constantly stirring things up, right? And everywhere they go, they're stirring more things up. Look at 10 
Verse 12, hatred stirs up conflict. 15, 18, a hot-tempered person stirs up conflict. Uh, 21, 9, I heard you laughing about this one. That's probably okay. A quarreling person is looking for an argument all the time, like a husband or a wife or a parent who's just always firing off criticisms. Every room they walk into is just a criticism waiting to happen. An angry person, 29 verse 8, is stirring up cities. And 29, 22, they're acting with evil wherever they go. So these Proverbs are telling us that when your zeal is perverted, you just might spray machine gun fire anger wherever you go. And it's violent and it's nasty. There's a couple more types of anger that are no less violent. Second, there's not just machine gun anger, but there's landmine anger. Landmine anger. Those with perverted zeal can also be more passive, but still volatile, right? Look at the king in verse six, uh, chapter 16, verse 14 here. The king is sitting on his throne, and he is ready to put to death anyone who might threaten his power. The ruler, chapter 19, verse 12, is like a sleeping lion, and you don't want to wake this lion up. He will roar, and he'll probably eat you if you wake him up. So sometimes perverted zeal says, I'm going to sit here quietly. I'm going to mind my own business. But if you even come close to messing with me and the things I love most, I'll explode. I am a landmine of anger. So there's machine gun anger, landmine anger, and then there's a third type here. Let's call it poison gas anger. Look at chapter 25, verse 23 there. The best we can tell is that this sly tongue is gossip. It's what we do when we gossip. And gossip, I think, is really just a passive form of anger, isn't it? You feel that your money and power and influence are threatened, but you're too proud and proper and respectable to explode. And so what do you do? You gather your friends, you gather the people that you have influence over, and you tell all about this person. How could this person be like this? And so you attack indirectly and silently, like poison gas, this person that you think is threatening you. It's not machine gun anger, it's not landmine anger. Uh, gossip is more like poison gas anger. When the zeal that you are meant to have for God and the things that God loves most is perverted into a lust for money and power and influence and other things, you become a burden, don't you, to everyone, to your spouse, 21 verse 9. Your spouse would rather go live alone in the desert than to have to live with you. Your coworkers, your children, your parents, your roommates might all feel this way about you. 
chapter 19, verse 12, the people who work with you and maybe who are underneath you in authority, they have to tiptoe around afraid that they might do or say something wrong or look at you the wrong way and you will blow up with anger. And if you think chapter 27, verse 3, if you think that carrying around a bag of sand or stones is exhausting, it's much more exhausting to be around you if you have perverted zeal. You and I have many times perverted zeal. We've too often been angry and about the wrong things altogether. We've been actively violent sometimes, passively, indirectly violent other times. We've been machine gun angry, landmine angry, poison gas angry. We've been a burden to one another. And in our perverted zeal, what has happened? We've wrecked relationships. Many of us parents have crushed the spirits of our children. Many of us bosses have smothered the creativity and stolen the joy from the people that work with us. And in our perverted zeal, we've made it so difficult for people to be around us and perhaps especially to be together and united intimately as the body of Christ in this place. And when we are just angry with one another in all of these various violent ways, then what we're telling the world outside is that they can know Christians not by their love, but by their anger, how they're so touchy and so prone to get people back. And that's a tragedy. And this is all because we have loved our money, our power, our influence, more than we've loved the Lord our God and more than we've loved our neighbors. So that's perverted zeal. If it's true that we all have perverted zeal, then we've got to unpervert it. We've got to unpervert it. We must reorder our list of things we love until God and people are at the top and money and power and influence, good things that we have made essential top-tier things until they're no longer at the top, but in their proper place, right? So are we ready to unpervert our loves and reorder our affections? You sit there and go ahead. I'll give you a couple minutes. You reorder your loves and just raise your hand when you've got them all reordered, okay? And then we'll move on to practical application. No? <laughs> it doesn't really work that way, does it? You can't just sit in your chair and make yourself love the right things in the right proportions and in the right order, can you? You can't make yourself really want anything. Paul knows this feeling in Romans chapter 7, doesn't he? He's conflicted. He wants things and he wants these other things and they're all in the wrong order. I like Eugene Peterson's paraphrase. He says, uh, speaking for Paul, I've tried everything and nothing helps. Is there no one who can do anything for me? The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. Friends, God saw the problem of our perverted zeal. 
He saw us reaching after money and power and influence. He saw how our hunger for those things was stronger than our hunger for him. And he saw that we were unable to simply reorder our passions and loves. And he saw the way that our anger was destroying our relationships and destroying our world and destroying our own hearts and wrecking our relationships in the church. And you know what? With all of this perverted zeal, God was angry. He was offended at this. We were wrecking his world and harming his image bearers. And God was zealous for truth and goodness and beauty while we were not. And you know what he did? He was angry, but his zeal, his burning desire to be our God and to have us be his people, it moved him into action, didn't it? In God's zeal, he came to us in Christ. Not to make us pay for what we did, but look at verse 12 of chapter 10 here, our first proverb. But God looked at our offenses and said, in my zeal, I'm going to come and I'm going to cover over these wrongs of theirs. They're really wrong and they're ruining everything, but I will cover over them. And he does this out of love. And the love that he sent to cover over our wrongs was the very body of our Lord Jesus, his son, And so it's only when we see ourselves as the people that we really are, angry, rebellious, offensive people with perverted zeal. It's only when we see ourselves truly that we can begin to change. And it's only when we are gripped by God's love for us in Jesus. Only then will we be filled with loving zeal, finally, for God's heart and for the people that are around us covered by his love, God's undeserved zeal for us. Now we no longer walk around paying others back for their offenses because God didn't pay us back for our offenses but came to us in zealous love in Christ Jesus. And when we see Jesus as the covering of God's love over our offenses, then we can finally take our love for money and power and influence And we can watch them lose their grip on our hearts finally. And we can watch the love of Christ instead compel and control our hearts. So there's an important question. If you see yourself in all of this perverted zeal, have you received God's undeserved zeal in Jesus Christ? Has he covered over all of your wrongs? That's your only hope for a new heart. Has he begun to change your heart? Have you stopped trying to do it yourself and opened your heart to him to do it for you? Until that happens, we will never get beyond perverted zeal, pathetic anger. But when that happens, your heart's chains will break, your heart will be set free, set free to love God and to love people more than anything else.
in the world. So our perverted zeal needs to be covered by God's undeserved zeal in Jesus Christ. Thirdly, then, what happens to our perverted zeal once it's covered by his undeserved zeal? Well, thirdly, we begin to release converted zeal. Our hatred starts to erode. We start to realize, first proverb here, how foolish this kind of hatred is, always stirring up conflict. And we start covering other people's wrongs, don't we, with our love for them. Because love is patient and love is kind. We learn love from the one who loved us and we start loving other people in that patient and kind way. Chapter 15, verse 18. We're able to stop fights even before they start. We become peacemakers, as Jesus says. We're not looking for things to criticize in our spouses, in our children, in our parents, because we're not trying to justify our constant anger anymore. It's just not that important to us to have money and power and influence. And so with our converted zeal, we can finally lay down our weapons, our machine gun anger. Instead of spraying bullets, we can start spreading, can't we, the aroma of Christ, the sweet fragrance of his free grace everywhere we go. If we are in charge of people and projects, we can become like my awesome boss in Korea, who told everyone that worked under him, you have permission to breathe, you have permission to fail, you have permission to be human. And how refreshing is that? No more of this landmine anger, right? Instead of anxiously clinging to power, now with your new converted zeal, you can use whatever power and authority and influence and money, for that matter, that you have to serve people even becoming the slave of all, as Jesus says. And finally, we're freed from the need to tell people how awful other people are. We don't need to attack people indirectly anymore, secretly with gossip, because our perverted zeal has received undeserved zeal, grace, and now it's become converted zeal. We can stop with the poison, gas, anger of gossip. And we can now use our mouths, can't we, to say only what is useful for building other people up. What freedom there is there. And so now imagine with me, will you? What if every one of us together, before we walked into a church service, before we showed up for a committee meeting, before we walked into our homes after work, before we came through the office doors? What if we stopped? What if we stopped and said, Lord, I've been a fool. I've been full of zeal, but you know that it's so often been for the wrong things. But you, God, you have been full of zeal And zeal to have me as your child and to give me a zeal like yours. You've covered all the offenses of my perverted zeal by your undeserved zeal. 
And so when I walk into this house, this room, this meeting, Lord, I need a converted zeal as I go because I want to love as you have loved and serve as you have served. You know what would happen if we all did that? If we stopped like that, if we prayed like that, we'd really start to love one another, wouldn't we? Deeply, sincerely, from the heart. We would begin to fulfill Jesus' own great desire that we would love one another. And the world outside of here would realize that we have been compelled by the love of God in Christ. The world would know that we are followers of Jesus. And the world would ask how we got such a radically converted zeal. And then patiently, kindly, but zealously, we would be prepared to give them our best answer. It's because Jesus has come to us to cover our offenses. Friends, let's be wise enough, shall we, to admit that we've been fools? And let's allow the wisdom of God, who is ultimately Jesus himself, sent to cover over our foolish offenses. Let's allow the wisdom of God in Jesus to give us a new and converted zeal. He can do this in our church He can do this in your families. He can do this in your hearts. He can do this. Trust him. He who calls you to this is faithful. And if you're in Christ Jesus, he will surely do it. Heavenly Father, we trust that Jesus is at work in our hearts and in the hearts of all of us in community together. We pray that the vows that our new members took today would also be our vows. And that with our attitudes and words and actions, we would have zeal for the peace and the purity and the prosperity of your kingdom and your church. That we would turn toward one another in love, covering over one another's sins and being ready and willing to confess to forgive, and to have zeal for your kingdom and your righteousness. Thank you for your great zeal for us, your zeal of love which came to us in Jesus and help us to receive it and be transformed and converted by it, that we might love you as we ought and love one another even as we love ourselves. We ask it together in Jesus, our zealous king's name, amen.